Hey, good morning, everybody. You guys here? Yeah, showed up. All right. Well, hey, I hope that uh, that you're here today because uh, we're going to talk about something I think is really important for us. In fact, it's something that I'm praying will will actually start something today. Uh, And what we're talking about is courage. And what I'm praying for and what I've been praying for this morning is that that today, that even in like small ways, that we would begin begin an epidemic of courage, that courage would actually begin to break out here at Midtown. And you know what happens when courage breaks out? Actually, what happens is people stop going to church. Like they literally stop going to church. And they start to believe that they are the church. Like they start to believe that the church isn't what happens right here on Sunday morning. Actually, this is the gathering of the church. But the church, when it leaves here, is going to every corner of the city. The church goes to your work. The church goes home. Your church goes to school. Your church goes to dinner. Your church, the church is going all over this city. When we begin to have courage to understand who we are, it just ignites all kinds of crazy stuff and messes up your life. Yeah? Are y'all here? Hello? Are you courageous? Like, when you think about that, how would you answer that question, are you a courageous person? Or maybe a better question is, would you like to be known as a courageous person? Yes, Yes, me too. There we go. Somebody's here. I love that. I, I would love to be known as a courageous person. In fact, because there's something inside of me that knows that I'm made for courage and that I want to be courageous in my life. So I was thinking about a a way to inspire you. You know, I could tell you about Teddy Roosevelt or some of these other people, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, what a courageous man. But I want to tell you a story about Clara Barton. And Clara Barton, uh, when she was growing up, she was terribly shy. In fact, you probably would say that she had severe social anxiety. It was very difficult for her to do anything around people. Like coming here would have been really, really hard for her. In fact, when she started school as a little girl, she had so much social anxiety, her parents had to withdraw her from school because they were really concerned about her health. So she came home, started learning at home a lot. Uh, but it got worse and worse and worse where she was isolating herself more and more and more from people. And being around people was just something that she couldn't tolerate. And it was getting so bad, she wasn't eating, she wasn't sleeping, and finally her parents called the doctor. The doctor came over and examined her, and he says, physically, you're okay, but I am going to give you a prescription. Uh, Right down the road is a one-room schoolhouse and I'm, they need a teacher, and I'm prescribing you to be their teacher. And he left. So the next morning, Clara had the choice, very bright, she had the choice of walking out her front door, walking down the street to this one-room schoolhouse, walking in and teaching those children. Next morning, she got up, got dressed, walked down the street and walked to a schoolhouse of students that were older, her, older than her and bigger than her. And with courage, she stood up terrified and she said, my name is Clara Barton and I am your teacher. That one act of courage, that one 
which we all go, was that really courage? Yes, that was courage. That one act of courage eventually led her to show courage in a lot of other areas. One of those is that she began to start schools, free schools for children to have education. She actually got involved in the women's right to vote movement and became an outspoken advocate for women's rights. And eventually she founded the Red Cross. Can you believe that? Like one of the most famous things about Clara is during the war, she would go out into the middle of the battle to, to care for wounded soldiers and get them back to first aid. In fact, there's so many stories of her caring for soldiers and coming back with bullet holes through her clothes. And yet when she came back, she goes, I may be compelled to face danger, but never fear it. And while our soldiers can stand and fight, I can stand and feed and care for them when they are wounded. Whoa. That's courage. It always takes courage to be who you are. It always takes courage to live the life that you're being called to live. And the kingdom that you've been born into, the kingdom of Christ requires courage. It is a courageous courage. Kingdom. The reason it's a courageous kingdom is because when Jesus transforms us from death to life, when by the power of his resurrection, he brings us to newness of life, this new life that he's calling us into, hang on, it is scary. Because he is taking you to places where you don't have what it takes to meet the challenges that are in front of you. I mean, I wish we had time today to go, hey, stand up and tell us the testimony of the outrageous things that Jesus has called you into where you desperately needed Jesus. You want to, fill, you want to build a life of prayer in your life? Follow Jesus. Because you're going to get in a place where all you know how to do is, dear God, help me. I have no idea what to do. Trust me. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about how do we get courage? So we're going to go to Luke chapter 19. We're going to start in verse 11. So if you don't have a Bible, uh, raise your hand. And anybody sitting, David, you sitting on the window seal? He's got Bibles right behind him. Raise your hand. Somebody, just get him moving. All right, he needs help. I got a hand in the back. The buses will wait. There we go, right there. There you go. Got to get up. Got to get moving. Bring Bibles. There you go. Move. No, we're, we're going to wait until a Bible is delivered and go to page 10, I think it's 1052, or is it 1058, 1054? Somebody got a house Bible? 252. 252. 1052. There we go. 1052. Okay. Verse 11, let me read it for you, and then we're going to stop for a moment. It says, while they were listening to this, listen to what it just said. While they were listening to this. He went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. So before we even talk about what's in Luke chapter 19, we have to understand the context of what he's saying. He's, he's saying that right now this, this parable is in the middle of this chapter, but to understand it, we have to go back and ask the question, what were they listening to? What, what was going on back here that they were listening to? And then he says, but they were headed to Jerusalem. So why is heading to Jerusalem important for us to understand this parable? Well, let's go back over here. Over here is the story of Zacchaeus. 
Y'all know the story of Zacchaeus? Zacchaeus was a... Oh, you guys grew up in church, didn't you? I don't think the Bible says he was a wee little man. I think that was his Irish uncle. He's a wee little man, you know. But here's what's crazy about Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was the most hated guy in the community. What had happened was the Romans had come in and they had taken over Israel and they had found turncoat Jews in the community that knew everybody in the community. And they're like, we're going to make you work for us. And so Zacchaeus goes, am I going to make money? And they're like, you're going to make a lot of money. And they're like, you're our guy. So Zacchaeus comes over and works for the enemy. His job was to go to all his neighbors and collect taxes for the invading army. And then the invading army told Zacchaeus, hey, man, if you want to make a lot of money, here's the deal. Collect more than what we're asking and you get to keep the difference. You want to talk about a guy that nobody liked. Everybody hated this guy. On top of that, he was short. No, I know. All you short people are going to come after me. I'm short. The world is made for us. You tall people, we got attitude about y'all. But Zacchaeus was hated in the community because he swindled everybody out of money. He got rich off the back of his cousins, his uncles, his aunts, their friends, everybody that he grew up with. Everybody knew this guy and they knew him because they were poorer because of him. And Jesus is coming to town. And what does he do? Climbs up a tree. Remember that? You know, come down Zacchaeus from going to your house today. You know, so Jesus brings Zacchaeus down from the tree and goes to his house and something radical happens to Zacchaeus' life. That uh, this encounter with Jesus changes him forever. In fact, listen to what he says. He goes to Jesus and he goes, I'm going to give half of everything I have to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, I'm going to give them four times what I cheated them out of. Four times. And who did he cheat? Everybody. You know what's happening here? Zacchaeus is going... Everything I have, I'm giving it all away. The kingdom came to his home and his values were radically transformed. And what's on display here is that what he used to love, he doesn't love anymore. What he used to value, he doesn't value anymore. There are new values now operating in his life. Now keep this in mind because this parable is talking a lot about money, which means when we come to this story, it's not about money. Okay? We already see what Jesus thinks about money. Are you with me? Okay. Now, Jerusalem, they were about to go into Jerusalem. Jesus was about to get on a donkey and ride into Jerusalem. Passion week, it was the last week of his life. He was about to die. The disciples thought, this is it. The crowd's building. It's going to be a revolution. He's going to take over. He's going to be king of the world. And we're going to be his guys. And Jesus is like, ah, hold on. It's not going to work out like that. In fact, I'm going to be crowned, but with a different crown. And I'm going to be lifted up, but I'm going to be lifted up on a cross. But then I'm going to rise again, but then I'm going to ascend into heaven. And guess what's going to happen? When I ascend into heaven, there's a season of waiting before I return. It's called the last days. That's what we're in right now. Jesus ascended into heaven. And the next event on the calendar for us is his return. This parable is about the in-between time. It's talking about this season of waiting, and it says three things. So if you want to take a nap, uh, just listen to what I'm about to say, and then you got the whole sermon. This kingdom of waiting that we're in 
is going to have opposition for you. There's work for you, and you're going to need a lot of courage. Okay? So, Elisa, would you like to come and read for us? This is, do you guys know Elisa? <laughs> Starting in verse, I think, 11. Yes. Yes. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear, appear at once. He said, a man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king and then to return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and he returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, sir, your mina has earned 10 more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter Take charge of 10 cities. Okay, so <clears throat> are you all with me? That sounds like this is about money. And that sounds like this is about business. And that sounds like you being a good employee. <clears throat> it's not. Just a pro tip. All right, keep going. Okay, thank you. Okay. The second came and said, sir, your mina has earned five more. His master answered, you take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your mina. I have kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in and reaping what I did not sow? Why then didn't you put my money on deposit so that when I came back, I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, take his mina away from him and give it to the one who has 10 minas. Sir, they said, he already has 10. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. But as for the one who has nothing, even what they have will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. Okay, remember what we're doing here today. <clears throat> Obviously, we're worshiping the Lord, but we're talking about courage. And I'm going to ask you to come to this table and ask Jesus to give you courage. Okay, that's what we're doing today. I want you to leave with a pocket full of courage today. That's where we're going. And in this story, we see that this nobleman is going away to a faraway land to become king. He gathers his servants together and he gives them a bunch of minas and says, hey, do something good with it. Then he leaves and he comes back and now he's king and he's like, okay, tell me what you did. This is a parable about Jesus going away, and when he comes back, what are we doing in the in-between time? What is, what's going on here? And remember, what we're talking about is, in the in-between time, there is opposition to you, the church. You don't go to church, you are the church, that there is work for you to do, and it's going to take courage. 
So let's talk about this opposition. Look at verse 12. It says, a man of noble birth went to distant country to have himself appointed king and then return. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. Look at verse 14. But his subjects hated him. Oh, wait a minute. That's right there in the middle of the story. His subjects, the people in his land, the people that he was a noble over hated him. They hated him so much, they sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. They put together a delegation, and he's left, and they're like, okay, guys, hurry up. Come on, come on, come on, come on. you got to go to this foreign land that's about to appoint him king and tell him that nobody in this land wants him to be king. That's what's happening here. There were people that were against this. And that's important to know because think about the 10 servants that are about to do something. They're about to do something for a nobleman, future king that everybody in the community was against. Boy, it takes courage to make a stand. Have you ever met somebody in public with a MAGA hat on? No? Can you say MAGA in here? Okay, we just said it. We said it. There we go. We can talk about sex, but we can't talk about MAGA. All right? Whether you believe in Trump, don't believe in Trump, have your faith in Trump, don't have your faith in Trump, whatever your story is, when you see somebody walk up in public with a MAGA hat on, there is no confusion about where they stand. They didn't just find that in the Goodwill store and not know what it is and slap it on. They're making a statement. They have picked a side and they're standing their ground, right? Whether you agree with it or not, that's what's happening here. This nobleman is gone But who's left? The 10 servants. We're here. And what's going on? Their pockets are full of money from the king, future king, possibly the future king. We don't know yet how it's going to turn out because there's a whole delegation trying to undermine his kingship. So we don't know what's going to turn out. But we know when you start investing that, you're investing that in the name of the nobleman. And everybody in the community knows you're doing this for him and we hate him. That is hard. You know, if you don't know, we live in the South. And I'll tell you some some great things about the South. I can go anywhere and go, I I am a person of faith. And I can say that just about anywhere and get at least a quiet applause. Uh, You know, I can go just about anywhere and go, you know what? This has been a year of growth for me. And I'm really discovering that I'm a spiritual person. And I can do that and I will be celebrated I mean, I can really even say to people that this has been a year where I've deep dived into the teachings of Jesus. And I got to tell you that it's really changing my view of myself and the world that I live in. What an amazing teacher Jesus is. And still, there is no real controversy because I'm still kind of in the middle. It's like I really haven't chosen a side or declared anything about myself. But try this one. Say this in public. Jesus is Lord of all creation. Uh Uh-oh. Now we got a problem. Or if you say Jesus created all things and by him all things are held together, which is biblical. Ooh, wait a minute. Now you're starting to sound like you're in a cult somewhere. Like seriously, you're starting to sound like a fanatic. Like you really believe this stuff. Like what's wrong with you? If I even say Jesus is God or try this one, and this is in scripture, that Jesus 
is the second member of the Trinity and he came to earth to save sinners and he is the only way to salvation. The only way. Boy, it, it will literally pit you against a whole world. And then if you do this, trust me, you will understand what I'm talking about if you say this in public, Jesus is my Lord and everything I have is from him and everything I have I will use for his glory because that is God's call in my life. You say that, you're going to find opposition. And I'm saying to you, and what Jesus is saying to you, in this waiting time, don't be surprised by that. Because if you're surprised by that, then you're going to be thrown off. This is normal. If you go to Hebrews and you, list, you list, look at this long list of people of faith, every one of them faced opposition. Every one of them faced horrible opposition. Anytime we're going to choose to live by faith, we're going to live it in a world that doesn't know the Jesus that we follow. In fact, Jesus says, if they hated me, don't be surprised when they hate you. And I hate that. I'm a lover, not a fighter. Come on, seriously. I love, in fact, I got to tell you something. Because of my family history, when there's conflict, I immediately think, what's, what's wrong? What's wrong? Let's get back to peace. Even if we have to just cover over all the issues, let's don't talk about them. Let's don't address them. Let's don't deal with them. Let's just get back to everybody being okay. Pass the casserole. <laughs> this is in Psalm. This is David, a man after God's own heart. Listen to what he said. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink in the miry depths where there is no foothold. I have come into the deep waters. The floods engulf me. I'm worn out calling from help. My throat is parched. My eyes fail looking for God. Look at that suffering. What is happening in his life? Well, let me read verse seven. I endure scorn for your sake and shame covers my face. From who? I am a foreigner to my own family a stranger to my mother's children and a zeal for your house consumes me and the insults of those who insult you fall on me. He went home for Christmas. That's what happened. <laughs> That's from his own, his own house is insulting him because he was passionate about God. That's normal. Okay, let's keep going. We're about to come to the table. Opposition in this in-between time is normal, but there's also work to do in this in-between time. That's also normal. Let me read it again. A man of noble birth went to a distant country and having himself appointed king and then returned. So he called 10 of his servants and gave them 10 minas. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. 10 minas, we don't really know. I think it's like three months salary, whatever that meant. It was enough money for them to actually start to do stuff, to start commerce, to work, to do something in the name of this nobleman. But what it symbolizes is the fact that, that God, it's not just a story, God has given you stuff too. It's not just that he's given you stuff, he, is, he has given you a valuable commissioning. See, what's true about us as the church and you can't read the Bible without seeing this everywhere, 
He has called you specifically to something very specific. In fact, he not just called you to something specific, he has uniquely gifted you. I love personality tests. I kind of geek out on them. Enneagram, uh, I'm all of them. Uh, I know. When you get to a certain level, you just melt into all of them. I, you know, here's what's great about them is they, they really, they help me get a footing. But here's what they're not good at. They're not me. Like, there's never been a me. There's never been a me with somebody with my experiences, my trauma, my hurts, my wounds, my successes. All those things blend together to something that's beautiful. And it's called God's unique call and gifting on my life. In fact, he's given me promises that, hey, when you start to live out the you that I've made you to be, I'm going to give you everything you need for life and godliness. What? Seriously. I love this. We weren't just born into a kingdom. We were born into a purpose that is bigger than us. I love Peter Scazzaro says, it's your special sealed orders from heaven. That sounds, when I say it out loud, it sounds so churchy, doesn't it? But it's true. And here's what's crazy is we lose sight of that. And when we lose sight of that, <clears throat> we get surprised by suffering. I remember years ago, Tony Shea, uh, who is dead now, but was the president or the CEO of Zappos. Now, Zappos is maybe the largest distributors of shoes in the world. They, they have a website where you can find just about every shoe imaginable. And they were interviewing him on this show that I love, How I Built This. And he made a comment in that interview I will never forget. I mean, it was like somebody came and turned the light on in the basement, and finally I could see it all. And this is what he said when the guy said, so what is it like to run the world's largest shoe company? And he goes, nope, don't do it. He goes, what? He says, we are not a shoe company. He says, we're a customer service company. We just happen to sell shoes. Think, just think about this for a minute how transformative it is to understand that Tony Shea wasn't building a shoe company. He was building a company that was excellent, maybe most excellent, and, and frontier on customer service. In fact, he went on to say, who knows in the future, maybe we could sell other things. But whatever we do, we're going to do it with the best customer service anybody has ever experienced because we're not a shoe company, we're a customer service company. What if you saw your life differently? Like, think about it. All the gifts that you've been given, the talents you've been given, your friendships, your privilege, your opportunities, your passions, all these are not the purpose of your life. They're all just tools that God has given you to actually live out the purpose of your life. And that means I'm not a dad. Just being a dad is how I live out my purpose. I'm not a mom. Just being a mom is where I live out my purpose. Or a banker, or a lawyer, or a musician, or a doctor, or a chef. These are not who you are. These are simply tools to live out who you truly are and the mission that God has called you on. And what is the mission that he's called you on? Well, Jesus says it pretty clear. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Oh, so the purpose of my life is first and foremost to love God, to love God. And then he says this, this is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. 
So because I'm going to give you two commandments. The first is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, what is it, mind, everything, all right? And he says, but guess what? The second one is just like it. Well, what is the second one that's just like the first one? You shall love your neighbor as yourself. What? Spend an afternoon thinking about that. Like loving God is like loving my neighbor and that my life's purpose is actually to be a lover of God and others in a radical kind of way. So for you business-minded, I got I to gotta go back to the business world. Simon Sinek, anybody heard of him? You should go watch a video this afternoon. Anyway, he wrote this book called Start With Why. Listen to what he says about organizations. He says, if the leader of an organization can't clearly articulate why the organization exists in terms beyond its product or services, then how does he or she expect the employees to know why to come to work? Hmm. Want another one? I do. People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And what you do simply proves what you believe. One more. We'll get to the table in just a minute. Promise. He goes on to talk about the importance of if an organization doesn't, doesn't grow out of why it exists, it doesn't matter what it does. The what always follows the why. In fact, if you're struggling with how to live your life, it's probably because you don't understand the foundation of why you're living your life in the first place. In fact, when you begin to define the why, the how becomes remarkably easy. He says, instead of asking, what should we do to compete? The question might be asked, why did we start doing what we're doing in the first place? And what can we do to bring our cause to life. In other words, what can we do to bring the why back up to the surface? Why are we here? As believers, that's a primary question for us because we're ambassadors of the kingdom of God. We live our lives in such a way to display that kingdom. What we love, how we love, who we love, all these things to display the fact that we have been made into lovers. Okay, the last point just give me a few more minutes, is this is going to take a lot of courage. It says in verse 20, then the other servant came and said, sir, here's your mina. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid. I was afraid. I was afraid of you because you're a hard man and you take out what you did not put in and reap what you did not sow. Think of this. This person, this servant, he was afraid of doing anything in the name of the king. He was afraid of the crowd. He was afraid of the king coming back. His whole life was marked by fear. And what did fear do? Fear stole his courage. And he took the gift that his nobleman had given him, who then became king, wrapped it in a rag, and threw it under his bed. See, it's the crazy thing about fear. Courage isn't the absence of fear. Courage is not letting fear become your master. When fear becomes my master, it's crazy the kind of things that start happening in my life because what it does is it steals away from me the beauty of who I am in Christ, 
the call that he's placed in my life and the grand adventure that he's calling me to live. It causes me to wrap me up in a dirty rag and throw me under the bed. And I'm content with shame. I'm content with disappointment. I'm content with even being misloved by other people because I'm nothing but a rag. But in the center of that rag is a treasure. But fear won't let me open up the rag. In fact, fear is so powerful, it's going to create these impossibly dangerous futures that aren't even real. I'm going to imagine the very worst that's going to happen out there. And when I imagine that, I'm going to ask my life to respond to that fear right now by being very afraid of something that's probably never going to happen so that I don't ever have to get out from underneath the bed. And then I become content being a rag, just being a rag and ignore the treasure that's within. And what courage does is it opens up the rag and says, behold the treasure. That's you. You don't go to church. You are the church. See, but that's hard because sometimes it's just easier just not to be that. I mean, think about the courage it takes to be a part of the kingdom of God. Because what does the kingdom of God do? The kingdom of God is moving toward the poor. It's moving toward the marginalized. That's hard for me to sacrifice my time, even my money, to put limits on my own comfort so that I can be the church to those who have no comfort. That takes courage. We have been in Napier for five years. That, that uh, farmer's market that we have out there, that is to bring fresh produce into a part of this city that has no grocery store. It is a food desert. We've been doing that for five years with your help. Y'all are amazing. It's taken a lot of work, and we're starting a church in that community in September. But that's been taking five years. You think that takes courage? Oh, I don't even want to tell you the stories because there's too many of them. But just where you live, it takes courage. Think about the opportunity you have to be an ambassador to the kingdom of God and share your faith with other people. Do you know, I was reading a survey the other day. I don't know if these numbers are correct, uh, but it supports my point. So I'm going to say it anyway. All right. <laughs> it takes courage to bring to you information that may not be true. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go into the wild frontier. Now, actually, they say 82%. I've also heard it's more like 79%. So it's off by like 3%. But that matters to me because I'm a truth keeper. <laughs> no, I'm not a detailed person. But what is it? 82% of people surveyed said they would go to church if a friend invited them. 82%. That's 8.2 people out of 10. That's eight adults and a kindergartner would go to church... <laughs> And then they surveyed Christians and said, how many of you invited your friends to church? You know what the number is? Somebody want to throw out a number? Come on. Dude, y'all are so generous. 2%. You see the problem? The problem isn't that the world isn't interested in the kingdom of God. It's that we're not interested in anybody that's not already in the kingdom of God. Why? Because it takes courage to go to this part of the world and go, I belong to Jesus. And trust me, he's changed my life. I was in Percy Warner Park hiking on Friday. And this guy came tumbling down the trail. And about my age, but he had a big old backpack on his back. And as he's getting closer, I was going, boy, you look like you're training for something. And he stopped and he says, yes, I am. (laughs) And we started talking and everything. And He's training for this hike he's going on with his best buds. 
out in Colorado or California or someplace. I don't know. I wasn't listening to him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, I was. And listen to what he did. He asked, he said, so what is your name? And I told him, and he goes, okay. He goes, hey, man, can I tell you something? I'm like, oh, no, here we are. We're out in the park. You know, what are you going to tell me? And he goes, I'm really on a prayer hike. Um, and, hey, man, how can I pray for you while I'm hiking? I was blown away. Weirdo. <laughs> I said, man, that, that is beautiful. Because what did he do in that simple moment of kindness? He declared his allegiance to a kingdom, to a king that he prays to and walks with in the park. And in that love for God, he now is loving me. A complete stranger. Takes courage. That takes courage. And I know it takes courage because too many times have I not said something. Too many times, if you looked at my life, I could show you a lot of evidence for why I'm a coward. But I also could show you evidence that I'm courageous. But I want more courage, so how do we get it? We're about to come to this table, and I'm going to give you a really simple place to get it. I have two brothers. I'm the middle. And I remember the first time my parents went out on a date and left us home without a babysitter. Yeah. And we were like, they left, the sun was up, but then the sun went down. And we started hearing noises in the house that we'd never heard before. And we started hearing creaking, and we started to convince one another that we are high-valued assets, and their assassins come to take us out. <laughs> Literally, our fear got worked up to such a level that we were all running around the house with kitchen knives and our belt and baseball bats, and we were in the living room back-to-back -back waiting for the crash to come through the window. I am not joking you. We were terrified. And then something happened. Daddy walked in the door. And when Daddy walked in the door, we dropped the knives and we dropped the bat and our fear went running and we weren't afraid at all. Because now Daddy's here. You want courage? Be with somebody who's more courageous. You want courage? Be with someone who's not afraid. You want courage? <laughs> Steal it. From the one who has it. And who has it? Your Jesus has it. You know how I know that? Because before you even called him Lord, friend, or Savior. In fact, when you were his enemy, like the people in this story, he went to the cross for you. He died for you. He gave his life for you. So that when he rose from the dead, he could look at his enemies and go, now come with me and rise to newness of life. Behold the church. That's my Jesus. And if that Jesus would die for me when I was his enemy, how much more now that I'm a son and a daughter will he not give me all things for life and godliness? And I know this because if you have time, you ought to go to John 21 if you're discouraged, if you're afraid. And John 21 is a story of maybe the most courageous disciple ever to live. He was a swashbuckler. His name was Peter. I call him a swashbuckler because when they came to take Jesus away to take him to the cross, he pulled out a sword and did his best Johnny Depp and he cut off a guy's ear. <laughs> you will never take him and I will die before you take him. And then before the night was over, he had denied Jesus three times. 
His shame became so complicated. His pain became so destructive. His remorse became so poison to his soul that he says, I refuse to believe all the things that Jesus said about me. All I am is a dirty fisherman. And he went back to fishing. And you know what happened? Jesus came after him. He said, come on, Peter. Come on, man. Come on. That's what this table is. This is Jesus coming after you. And he's going, come on, people. Come on. Come and taste, smell, touch who you are. Remember who you are. You're not a fisherman. You're my kids. And I have a role for you. And I have courage for you. Just stay with me. So we're about to come to this table. This was a table that Jesus created the night before he was betrayed, the night before he was arrested. He had all his disciples around the table and he goes, hey guys, I'm gonna institute a way that you can get in touch with my grace on a regular basis. So he took the bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he took the cup of wine and he poured it in a cup and he goes, this is my blood shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me because this blood is for the forgiveness of your sins. He says, every time you gather together with my people, do this in remembrance of me. So we come here to partake in this sacrament that Jesus said, this is the place I remember I'm not alone. Daddy's in the house. So we can remember who we are. Now, I gotta tell you, because it wouldn't be fair for me not to tell you that Paul, when he talks about this in 1 Corinthians 11, he gives us a warning. He says, you need to examine yourself. This is not a table for people that don't know Jesus. If you don't know him, that's cool. We love having you here. But it's also for people that are dualistic in their heart when it comes to Jesus. And what I mean by that is we're saying to Jesus, I'll give you part of me, but this part over here you can't touch. Jesus says, be careful. Because when you come to this table, you're inviting love to come in and pursue you. And love is not selective. Love doesn't go, well, I just want 10% of you. The other 90% of you could do whatever it wants. Jesus is saying, I'm coming after all of you. And when you're not partnering with that, that can be really painful. And Jesus is saying, hey, come on, guys, deal with that part of your heart and bring all of yourself, no matter what it is, bring it to the table. And together, you and Jesus together can begin to heal what is broken. So the way we do that here at Midtown is we really try hard to get out of the way and let you spend time with Jesus. So the band's gonna come back in in a minute. You can worship, you can pray, you can read the scripture, meditate, take advantage of maybe the only quiet moment your whole day. Uh, And when you're ready, come on up and take communion. The way we do it is if you wanna kneel, kneel. If you wanna stand, stand. This time is for you. But when you're ready to receive, put your hands out and you'll be served. Now we have wine and grape juice. If you want wine, it's on the outer ring. Grape juice is on the inner ring. We'll let you choose. Um, And if you're up here and you feel like you need the prayer of the saints over you, just cross your chest, uh, we'll stop serving and pray for you because that's important to us. We also have, as you exit out the hallway here, prayer walls. Uh, Leave a prayer, take a prayer. So if you want somebody else praying for you this week, just leave a prayer anonymously and take one and post it somewhere in your house or in your car where you're reminded to pray for them throughout this week. So let's pray, and when you're ready, come and partake of the Lord's table. Lord, 
We are people that easily forget why we're here. And so, Lord, when we face scary situations and oppositions even, we sometimes act as if this isn't normal. It's crazy. Lord, we, we forget that courage is a gift that you give us because you give us you. And there's so many places in even my own life that I should have stood up and I didn't. I should have spoke up and I didn't. Or I should have shut up and I didn't. That Lord, too easily fear really wraps this treasure of your gifts in a bunch of rags and throws it under the bed. And you dare us, Father, to now trust in you and let Daddy come back into the house. So Lord, as my friends come to this table, would you bless these elements uh, to do the ministry in which you intended them and bring healing to our souls. In Christ's name we pray, amen.